Hello. Hello. Uh, we are going to look at today the uh, coming of the Lord, and in this would be in the context of the second coming. And the second coming of the Lord for many people in the world uh, is, is not believed, although it is a reality that for us who do believe it, know that there is a future for this world, and this very world, uh, before he makes it new, there is a future for this world that will be under the authority and rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is going to make what is wrong with this world right. He is going to turn injustice into justice and unrighteousness into righteousness. But for now, the Lord Jesus is currently hidden in heaven. And it's, we're told that when he's revealed, and he's going to be revealed for who he is and uh, to the whole world, it will be physical, it will be bodily, uh, and it will be seen from east to west like flashes of lightning. No one's going to miss him. Uh, when he's revealed, we're going to be revealed too. And not like we are now, obviously, but we're going to be revealed for who we really are. And when that event happens, which is the second coming of Christ, in our passage it says that he will be glorified in us and we will, or really it says, we will marvel within ourselves at him. And therefore our hearts are going to burst with the glory of Jesus Christ at that time. And this is something that we know we're sure we have confidence will occur, and therefore we should rejoice as children of God. We should rejoice every day. And no matter what's going on in this world, we are the light to the world. Jesus right now is hidden at the right hand of God, and we are the light of the world. And being the light of the world, we must be a light to those who do not obey the gospel, because to know their end, to know the judgment that's going to come upon them, should give us compassion towards them. And so we look to, we live in that which we see. But it's not yet here. We live in and walk in that which the world doesn't yet know. It's completely ignorant of. And yet we know. And we don't just wait for it to happen. We live in the manner of it before it happens. And that's what we look at today. The revealing of our Lord or the uncovering of our Lord from heaven and his second coming is going to be the end of history as the world has always known it. The way the world thinks things are and always has. Since the fall of man, it, when the Lord returns, is going to all be over. It's all going to be over. And we need to live in this world as if it already is. So let's, uh, we're going to start in Colossians, Colossians 3. Let's pray before we get into our message. We'll uh, start with prayer. We always do this and to make sure that we are ready and uh, in a right mindset to hear God's word, being thankful, reverent, and ready to concentrate and focus. And so with that, let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for you. Thank you that you are and have promised that your son will return. We thank you that he will be revealed from heaven and we will be revealed with him. When that occurs, we will marvel. And I can only imagine. We, Father, know that until that time we wait. As we wait patiently, at least try to wait patiently, we ask for your power to be patient. To deal with others in this world, they're ignorant of what's coming. They're ignorant of the danger that they're in. So we ask, Father, that through us a light would shine, your light would shine, because as the Lord said, we are the light of the world if we are children. We have your glory, we have your love, we have your new life, the new life of humanity. We have your divine life in us. Show us, Father, each of us individually, how to let our light shine in the circumstances in which we are. Let us have the courage to go forward in faith and do what you have willed us to do. We ask, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, that these words that we see today would become an enlightenment and understanding. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the uncovering of our Lord Jesus from heaven at his second coming is going to end the trend of history that the world has always known. This is something that we greatly rejoice in. Everything about this world, the way it's always run, is going to be no more. No more injustice. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. Uh, no more, uh, no more falsehood, fake news, completely gone. Uh, all that's wrong, been wrong, which the people in the world who have uh, longed for, lusted for, had passion for all that was anti-God, uh, will no longer be available to them. It's not that they won't be sinners. There will be sinners in the millennial reign. We know this because there's a final judgment coming at the end of it. But nobody gets away with anything. Uh, the people who break the law are uh, quickly and efficiently adjudicated. That's the right word. The, the law is executed against them in seconds. There's no process. There's, I mean, there is a process. The process is Christ sitting on, right, on David's throne. There's your process. And uh, amazingly so. And I'm going all the way back to the fall of man. Where government, you know, the rulership of God over man, that was rejected by man. Then the governments that God put over mankind, they were rejected and so on. Is All the authority of God was rejected. As even now, this world operates. Today, I get drawn into a little bit of this hearing that they had on Capitol Hill about, uh, you, you know, it's one of those things. We were talking about vengeance last class. And, like, this is something that piques my interest because it's a, it's a you know, are we going to really get them finally? Because that's what this hearing is about in Congress, about, um, you know, uh, the fact that the government has been used as a weapon against people. 
You know, are we, we're finally going to get, you know, and it's that, that love of revenge that is in yourself that you just want to see it happen. And, uh, yeah, I got sucked into it just for a little bit, a little bit. Uh, you know, I was entertained by some of the testimony. But then I was like, you know, what am I really doing here? I got work to do, you know, that's more important than this. Christ, you know, there's going to be no hearings like that. There's going to be no fake news. There's going to be no some corporation who runs all the information. There is going to be a corporation of one. And he's going to run everything. And that day could be coming soon. And the world that we live in is ignorant of it. And they're in danger of it. You and I, every believer, you're not in danger of anything. This is a day you're going to rejoice in. But the world is in danger. Jesus is currently hidden in heaven. We, what we really are, are currently hidden with Him. Look at Colossians 3.1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, this, by the way, is an easily seen first-class condition of a conditional statement where Paul is stating it this way because the Colossians have been raised up with Christ. It's his way of emphasizing it. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You see that. Because the things of the earth are the things that are going to get judged. Again, we're, we want to look at this passage in light of the second coming. Everything we're going to look at today, and really for the, for the next class or two, is going to be all in reference to the coming of Christ. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life, notice, is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden there. That, do, that doesn't mean that I don't see it. Well, heck, if you didn't see it, you couldn't live it. You do see it. And all the royal family sees it if they choose to learn it. But the world doesn't see it. So he says this in verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, and this would be the second coming, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And this phrase, in glory, is going to is used by Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter First uh, Thessalonians and in Second Thessalonians chapter one, where this glory of Christ is going to be in us when He's revealed, and so it matches here beautifully with Paul's first letter, first couple of letters to the Thessalonians. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So in, until that time. Which this we look forward to. So, so our lives are, you know, we're, it, it's kind of like, uh, when did I, what did I hear? Where did I hear that? I can't remember. That's obscure reference. However, this man, I think, I can't remember the reference, but he was showing his, some children, maybe they were his children, as they were hiking through this field that there were elk and the elk were all over, and they were beautiful, this big herd of elk, and they were looking at them. And while they were walking along, as they were looking at the elk, they were tripping over the things that were on the ground. 
And so uh, the, the person was like, hey, you can't just walk and look at the elk. You have to look down or you're going to like fall in a ditch or something, right? So the, the purpose of the story, which seems oddly stupid as I say it now, is the fact that you do have to look down and you also want to look up. If you, just walk, if you just walk the whole path looking down, you never see the elk, right? You don't see the scenery. You don't see the... But in our fallen world, there's things to fall into. So if I'm just constantly looking at the second coming and I'm not looking at now, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt myself. If I'm only looking down, I might avoid being hurt, but I'm going to lose the, the joy of the life. Because the real joy is coming. It, we can't imagine it. We have joy now. It is nothing compared to what's going to come. We have love now. It's nothing compared to what's going to come. We see our Lord in our hearts, but it's nothing compared to what we're going to see. And so we have to look down, and we have to look up. And we have to switch. And so Paul's going to actually bring this out. Because... Until that time when we're revealed with Christ, look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You see, so in the here and now, if I'm not alert, so notice Paul says here, consider that you're dead to these things. And that clearly reveals that we're temptable by these things, and we can fall into them. But they have nothing to do with us anymore. They did once. At one time, this is all we knew. But we're not this anymore. And so these are the things that are of the world. That's not the slide I want. I did this again. These are the things that are in the world. And Jesus is going to judge and destroy them. These are the things that the world openly loves. Does the world love immorality? Does the world love impurity? Does the world and the people of the world love passion? And that's passion for sinful things, evil desire. How about greed? Greed runs the world. All of which is idolatry. It's the worship of false gods. And Jesus is going to come. When he comes, he's going to judge them. These things are no longer allowed in his reign. At the, you know, for all of eternity, they don't ever exist again. And so they do not or are not of God. And therefore, we're no longer of them. And so the point here that Paul makes is, if our life is hid with Christ, and it is, if when he's revealed, we're going to be revealed, and we are, if he's coming to judge these things, could they possibly do us any good? And why should we think in any way other than vehemently hating them? Right? They're going to be judged for eternity by God, by the Lord. 
Now, hold your place here. We'll come back to it. Hold your place. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. I was going to quote part of this on the board, but it needs to be seen in its context. It's just one paragraph from 1 Peter 4. We're going to return to this same chapter in a bit. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, we've got, uh, we've got something there that is, you know, we, we ponder, of course, this fact that we've ceased from sin. Does that mean we become sinless? Uh, obviously not. So we'll deal with that in a second. However, in, in the context <coughs> of this in comparison with Second Thessalonians and First Thessalonians, we have seen that the Thessalonians are suffering. And Paul has stated that their suffering is has the purpose in it of them being worthy of the kingdom of God. In other words, because they have lived righteously in the midst of suffering, they have suffered even more. They haven't caved into it. They haven't given in to the fact that we find out in the first letter that their source of suffering is their neighbors. It's their family members. It's their neighbors who can't stand the fact that they're no longer living the way that they used to, which we just read in Colossians 3. They're no longer living in immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desiring, greed, which amounts to idolatry, which are all the things that they were doing in the worship of false pagan gods in their old society and in their old families. And their families are persecuting them for it. So, Jesus said, Blessed are you when you suffer for my name's sake. <clears throat> Again, look at verse 1. Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, and he has, arm yourself also with the same purpose. We must suffer. We don't go looking for it. Don't ever think that. We're not ascetics. We don't put it on ourselves. But we must suffer when we walk in the manner of Christ. Now, let's tackle this. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, does he mean sinless? Well, let's keep reading. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So now we see what Peter means by ceasing from sin, that we're no longer mastered by it. We're no longer mastered by sin, but we're mastered by the will of God. That doesn't mean we're sinless. It means that we prefer desire and love the will of God and we choose to reject the nature of sin that is within us. It doesn't mean we're still going to fall for it from time to time, but the things that we have just read in Colossians, which is the immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, we reject. If you're a believer who accepts immorality, passion, and greed then you are violating these principles of our new life. And when I say accept, I mean in your life and in your lifestyle, you have said these things are okay for me, they're worldly, they're sinful, and I'm accepting them. And they're ruling me. And yet you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, you are in a great conflict within yourself. Because as we see in these passages, that is not a follower of Christ. That is someone who maybe wants to follow Christ, but not someone who is. And you must be honest with yourself. There's no compromise here. The things that are going to be judged 
the things that are going to be revealed as wrong and eradicated by the second coming of Christ are not an option for us, and they must be rejected. So first two again, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, in our bodies, meaning in this life before the return of Christ, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time, is all, the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. By Gentiles, it means the unbeliever. So I love how Peter puts this, right? He says, how much time have you spent living as an unbeliever? That's enough. That's what he says. I mean, all of us, you know, we have different times living. We became born again at different ages. And maybe as born again believers, we still struggled with sin and lived in it in some of these things and for some longer than others. Whatever that time it was, whether it was a year or 20, Peter says the time is enough. How true that is. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the unbeliever, having pursued a course of sensuality. Notice how much this is like Paul's list in Colossians 3. Sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Paul's list. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil evil desire, and greed. Peter's list, at least in this passage, sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable, abominable idolatries. In all this, they, meaning the unbeliever, the Gentile, are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation. Remember, dissipation there is a word that means a wasting or a throwing away. And do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. Persecution. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, when is that going to happen? Notice Peter here in a clear reference to the second coming of Christ. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead that though they, were, they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. In other words, the gospel has gone out throughout the world to be heard by all men. So notice how in this passage, and you can go back to Colossians 3, in this passage and also in Colossians and in 2 Thessalonians and in 1 Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians that we'll see if I hurry up here, and again in 1 Peter and in in several other passages, we have this presentation to us by God of what we were in the old life, what we are in the new life. Old self, new self. And in that picture, the second coming of Christ. Because here we are as new selves, and the old self is still pastoring us to live under its management. And we say, well, you know, and here we are in that struggle. And in the moment, let's say the moment of right now, today, should I go back to the old maybe just for a little while? 
And then in the midst of that struggle, here Paul, Peter, John will as well, will say, look, the Lord is coming back at any moment. The second coming. He's coming now. And so while I'm in the struggle of old man, new man, I've also got to throw in a third player, the Lord, who at any moment. It is, it is clear, the scripture that is presented as coming at any time. And so this is the, this true, all the truth together. That's why truth is life. With the truth, I can, I have extra, much more extra power and ability to when I'm in that struggle between old self and new self with the truth of the returning Christ who's going to judge the old, right? It helps me to say no to the old and yes to the new. Just make no mistake. God is clear. Every time you say yes to the old, you suffer. Every time. All right, Colossians 3. Let's restate so we see the context. Verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, therefore is a conclusion. Actually, verse 1 starts with a therefore, which is a conclusion to chapter 2. Well, really, chapters 1 and 2. But verse 5 is, Therefore, since, you, since your life is hid with Christ, since, since you are seated with Him in the heavenly places, since when He is revealed, you will be revealed with Him in glory, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. You see, the the wrath of God, when is it coming? Second coming of Christ. That's when it's coming. And when it comes, this wrath is going to be upon these things. Of which Paul is saying, then why in the world would any of us think of them other than vehement hatred? And then he says, and in them you also walked when you were living in them. Which is why I went back to 1 Peter 4. Peter said the same thing. Peter added, "It's the time is sufficient for you to have walked in them. So in verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. Oh, and we're not done. Here comes another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Right in his first list in verse 5, it's some more of the fleshly, passionate, immoral stuff. And then in verse 8, it's the more mental, verbal, um, you know, stuff of malice and anger and conflict and hatred of the fellow human being. So he says what? Put them aside. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Notice you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge. 
Now let's just stop at verse 10 and have put on the new self. This is an aorist verb. And this putting on, being in an aorist, it's, it points to, the, now the time stamp isn't exactly clear, but it, it's in, being in an aorist means that it is of a past tense nature. And that means that it's a done deal. Which we know, but we want to, you know, Paul is emphasizing it here. That if I have laid aside the old, and the old is what's going to be judged. You know, in us it's already been judged in Christ, but please notice what he says, that the whole world is going to be judged for these things. In verse 6, it's unmistakable. These things, because of these things, Right? Things is neuter. It's not people, it's things. Uh, wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And this renewal has doesn't matter who you are. In terms of ethnicity, gender, race, a renewal in verse 11, which in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all in, in all. And so all of this in view of the second coming of Christ. While Christ is now hidden, the world continues on in such lifestyles and behaviors and think everything's just going to continue to go on the way that it always has. And the truth of the matter is, is that any day now, this is going to be put to an end. And I know the tribulation's coming and all of that, but the tribulation's seven years long. This we know. And how fast is seven years? You know, when the rapture comes, the tribulation comes, I mean, it, it's over. There's such a short time left. The world thinks it's going to go on forever. And so we, who are set free from these things, have now... And look, to, to make this right for us, it's not just the avoidance of the things that are sinful, but it's actually also the doing. I mean, say we avoid uh, the immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, and we avoid, uh, verse 8, the anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, and we stop lying to one another. We avoid all that. Well, what are we supposed to do? And you can't do both. You can't do the good and do the bad at the same time. So, it's not only, but this has to be stated here because these things were drawn into, but we can't do them. These are the knots, the, the things that we should not do, and now that we don't do them, what is it that we do? Well, I'm glad you asked, Paul would say. Because when the king is revealed, and the kingdom comes, and the will is done, what will that kingdom be like? 
everybody walking around not being immoral. I mean, for a lot of people, they say, well, that's, you know, that sounds kind of boring. Right? Just a bunch of people walking around and they're not drinking too much and partying too much and they're not doing this or that too much. <sighs> sounds like a Mormon convention or something. What is it that we're supposed to do? The renewal of the new life is the increase of faith and love and endurance to do. And you can't do the sin and do the do at the same time. You can't do it. I say, I'm gonna li- I have these pet areas of sin and I'm going to do those and I'm going to save the other time to do the do. And you're not going to do it. I guarantee it. You're not. It sounds like a fine plan in which you're shaking hands with both kingdoms. And it ain't going to happen. You're lying to yourself. This whole thing, this passage, 1 Peter, our passage in 2 Thessalonians, is a fact that we are no longer of the entire old world and we are now members of a completely new world that is to come. And we must not give in to the compromise. With the renewal, notice in uh, verse 9, verse 10, verse 10, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Right, so we're created. This new self is in the image of Christ, and it's being renewed. That renewal is the increase. Okay, so in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we saw that Paul said we have to give thanks. We are obliged to give thanks for you because your faith has increased and your love for each one for one another has abounded. You have grown, even in the midst of the persecution in which you endure. Your faith and your love have increased. And these things are to be renewed in us. The new creature, every day, is forging ahead to learn more faith and more love. And if I'm doing what I just said before, of playing games with the world in the flesh, and given part of myself to that, and you're not going to grow up. You're going to remain stagnant and, and go nowhere. You're like, because you're not pursuing it. God didn't say, pursue me with half your heart. Again, we're not talking about sinlessness here. We all fail. We all fall. None of us are perfect. But I think a great many believers in our world have to have a, a real heart-to-heart with God. You know, especially in American Christianity. It's, you know, it's, Western Christianity is it's turned into more of a Christian country club where we have easy lives and we're not persecuted hardly at all. And, the, and the, we live in a world that thoroughly accepts the fact that you know, we can be Christian and also live sinful lifestyles. So, what are we to do? And we need a lot of faith, hope, and love to do this. Verse 12. So, 
as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, all those things that people pursue, the immorality and purity and the anger and the malice and all of that, they actually think that that is a form of prosperity and that's why they pursue it. That it's actually going to be fun. And what does fun do for you? you know, what do we want all those things for? So that we can have a heart full of peace. I always say, ah, oh, I got what I wanted. I satisfied the lust of the flesh. So what do I get? Peace. And then that satisfaction of the flesh, God designed it this way. <laughs> Can you imagine if we were able to actually be satisfied with a satisfied flesh? What a world that would be. But anyway, it's not. It's not, and we know it. But why is it? How do we know that? We have to keep going back. Like that rat going for the pellet. We've got to keep going back and going back and going back. And the flesh gets immune to it and used to it. And so we need more and more and more. And then we become, uh, uh, in sense, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, callous. We become callous to the feeling of joy and, uh, and, and, and further problems, complications flow from that. Again, verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That's what everybody's after with all the other things. But they don't, of course, what I mean by that is the word peace, not the peace of Christ. For us, and we know this, is that we can let. Let means what? Humility, let it happen. You can't make it happen. You have to let it happen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. A person at peace with great gratitude and thankfulness in his heart. That's a happy person. Then in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's the same manifestation in Ephesians 5 of the filling of the Holy Spirit is here the exact same manifestation of the fact that the word of Christ richly dwells within you. Whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So in this last section, verses 12 through 17, which completes the chapter, it's, this is the doing. This is what it is that we are to do. And we can't do this while we're doing the same things that are in verses 5 and verses 8. Now, why would we have the attitude to do the right thing and say no to the wrong thing? And I should put that a little better, to say no to the old kingdom and the old self and to say yes with open arms and great joy to the new kingdom and the new self. And that is because the one who created life is returning. And when he returns, he's going to be revealed in glory. And that glory is the new self and the new kingdom which of which we are members and a part of for eternity. When he's revealed, we will be revealed. And that is coming at any time. Any time. And that is why we should. That is why we must. 
Again, not just say no to the things that are going, and they destroy people. Destroy souls, destroy families, destroy relationships. It's amazing to me how people continue to pursue the same things that have destroyed them for years, and they will continue at it. I've done it myself. I'm amazed at how stupid myself is, which is a stupid sentence because that doesn't make any sense. Perfect. But we are stubborn creatures. And God, in all of this information of truth, and this truly, it's not just true, I mean it is, but when the Lord returns, I mean, what an event. The whole world's going to be changed. We're going to be changed. And in light of that, God has given us so much truth and power within through God within to do this right and to experience it before He comes. And that's really what hope is. You know, this endurance that really points to hope. Hope is the ability to live in that which the world doesn't yet see. I don't see it yet either. But we can live in it. This returning Lord in which I will be with Him in glory. So, hope, that's the guy that got out of order there, is currently and joyously living in the manner of what the world does not yet see. There's a burden here that all of us face, which is we're looking forward to something that hasn't come yet, and we long for it. Again, we have to look down to get our way and not trip, and we also have to look up to see the joy of the life that we're living. And... Yet, at the same time, we're, we have to say, well, until that time, what? And this is always the case. Like, so the Lord, if he, he hasn't returned today, today's almost over for us. If he hasn't returned today, let's say, if he doesn't return tomorrow, then what? You know, what do I do in the meantime? And we live like that all the time. It's this constant expectation of something to come that's marvelous. And in the meantime, we do what? And as the Scripture tells us, as the Lord tells us, we live in the manner of that which is coming. I mean, when the kingdom comes, it's unmistakable. When the kingdom comes, we're members of it. When after we're dead and living in our resurrection bodies, it's you know there's no more sinfulness. But you know, the experience of what we have here, which is, is so um, written of, it's written of in the Scripture in, in a great importance, uh, meaning that the writers put great importance on it, on the decisions we make and how we live. And in these cases, in light of the coming Lord. All right, go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Read that and let's see. Yeah. Just to get our passage in here, Second Thessalonians one three, just for the context. 
We ought always to give thanks to God. To God, Notice he thanks God. I remind you of that. He's not thanking the Thessalonians. He's thanking God for them because what they do is godly and, and empowered by God. Same for us. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you for one another or toward one another grows even greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance in the faith, uh, perseverance and faith, sorry, in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So, which we've seen in Colossians and in 1 Peter, same thing. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you when you are afflicted and to us as well. When? When will that happen? When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. In his passage in 1 Thessalonians, it says he's returning with his holy ones. It's uh, this word, hagioi. It's the holy ones, which was a reference to Christians. And so there's comparing this with the passage in 1 Thessalonians. He's not just returning with the angels, but he's also returning with us in flaming fire. This would be the second coming. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so, clearly, to in verse 8, it's to these unbelievers, and in light of, especially in this letter, to the unbelievers who are persecuting Christians, who are no longer living in the manner of the unbeliever. And so, as Peter said, he said, in all this, 1 Peter 4, 4, in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. The promise is, so while they're maligning you, yeah, say they're in front of you, maligning you, or hurting you, um, or you're thinking about them, please note, if they don't become believers, there's generally people who do that. If you're going to malign Christianity, you're probably an unbeliever. If they don't become believers, what are they going to face here? And they don't know it. Right? The, wor- the people think, well, the world is always going to be the way it is. As Peter writes in his second line, in 2 Peter, he writes to the fact that the people are saying, yeah, yeah, you keep telling us about the coming of Christ. Yeah, yeah, you keep telling us about the coming of Christ. You've been telling us that for thousands of years. Come on. It's stupid. It's wrong. It's not going to happen. Right. But then when it does, and it will, how surprised are they going to be? They don't know it's coming. And so, a further benefit to this is the fact that when they're maligning you or or, uh, persecuting you and you know, what's your initial response is revenge. Let's say you could get your revenge. Let's say you could put them down. Let's say you could say the perfect thing that would just make them shut up and be embarrassed. Like I was longing for someone to say to someone in that congressional hearing today. And I'm like, Joe, what are you doing, man? You're not even a part of this. 
I just can't wait for this somebody to beat somebody down. And I'm like, oh, turn it. I turned it off. Let's say you could, and you did. Oh, and revenge is a dish best served cold, right? It was delicious. And that same person, when Christ came, was judged and cast away from the presence of God and from the power of His glory and cast into the lake of fire. You feel good now that you beat Him down? Christ died for that person. Should you require more? And this is what this truth is doing for us. Think that person who is maligning you is in grave danger. And so... You know what? Let them win an argument. If if I think, if I see a way in which I could possibly shine the light of the gospel towards them in a way they might see a little more clearly, at least I think, I don't know if they will or they won't, am I willing to accept that? It's called the law of love if you are, by the way. Am I willing to accept losing an argument? Say, in public, they're going to put me down and everybody's going to say, wow, Joe, what a loser, what a weakling. Am I willing to take that kind of persecution in the hope, the glimmer of a hope, that their hearts may be saved? And what does it take to do that? It takes the love of God. Uh, and God is hes asking us, are you willing to do that? It takes the love of God. And I, I find it fascinating. Fascinating. The fact that God would ask us to be like his son. Doesn't that seem odd to you? People like us who still have within us the desire for vengeance, the desire for hatred the desire to win because we still have a sin nature that we struggle with. Doesn't it seem odd that God would want us to walk his path and to be his light? Very odd. Couldn't couldn't he just send angels down here to do that who are perfect? Couldn't he just send someone else? (laughs) Send someone else. It's, it's the, by the way, it just makes me, Isaiah, when he was, when Isaiah was called to be a prophet, he basically said, send someone else. I'm an unclean man. Moses said the same thing. Send someone else. I'm a bad speaker. And God said, no. What God has done for us, and, and look, heaven doesn't need evangelists. How's that for a deep revelation for you? I just thought of that myself. I'm going to write a book and be uh, print millions of copies, and we'll stack them all in that back hallway over in the back room over there with the copies of my other book that no one wants. And uh, and you know, there's there's no need for evangelization in heaven. There's no need to love your enemies in heaven. It's only now in time. And when this happens, the apocalypse of Christ, 
doesn't doesn't sound right. Because when we think of apocalypse, well, you might think of the movie, uh, the Vietnam War, or, um, you know, you just think of the final, final battle. But what apocalypsis means is an uncovering. That's what it means. And uh, an uncovering, you know, at the, the final apo- the apocalypse or, you know, the final, we're, we're really, I'm thinking about is Armageddon, but the uncovering of evil, it's used in that respect. This word is used for the uncovering of the, uh, the beast, the man of lawlessness in our next chapter. When we get to that, we'll see that. Uh, but this is the uncovering of Christ in verse 7. And when Christ comes and he is revealed, then this whole thing is over. The whole world the way that it is. That persecutor of yours will be judged and will be no more. And I had the opportunity before Christ. You know, Christ is going to come with his glory. Right? Angels, us, he comes with a retinue. It's not like the first coming. In the first coming, he did. He says, I didn't come to judge. In the second coming, I'm coming to judge. In the first coming, he came to save. And that's why we read in 1 Peter that the gospel goes out even to the dead. It goes out meaning those who are not going to believe it. It goes out to all mankind. Because the first time Christ came to save, The second time he comes to judge. And the application to us is that Christ is now hidden. And all these people around us who are persecuting or persecuting Christianity or are stuck in lies and who are uh, bragging and boasting and, you know, should I go back to the list? Yes, I should. That they're living in immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And also... Uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, and uh, others. I would go to Peter's, but that's enough. (laughs) And they're living in all of those things, and they're not going to be able to do it anymore. And while they're doing this, they're completely in ignorance of what's coming. You and I have an opportunity, knowing that the Christ is coming and when he comes is also not just the judgment, but as our passage said, there's relief to us. Right? It's over for us as well. Relief means I'm no longer a light to the world because the whole world is a light. You don't need me to be a light anymore. Not in eternity. And, uh, you know, all of us are. He is. is, As Revelation says, he enlightens the whole place. There's no need for a son anymore in eternity. S-U-N. Because the S-O-N enlightens the entire thing. How do we look at our enemies now? How do we look at our persecutors now? They're in grave danger. And you and I are not. We should also look forward ahead to this coming. Again, looking down and looking up. Doing both. Keeping our eyes on the world to take care of the things and to avoid the things that are going to hurt my spiritual life and my walk with God. But also looking up. My prayer life. 
in my work in God's Word, just not just learning God's Word for the sake of learning God's Word, but learning God's Word to communicate with the One who is above, the One who is in me. Because this is how He communicates with me. Communicate with Him. I live a grand life with Him. Let's pray. We thank You, Father, for our Lord and His coming. We thank You that through Him and Him alone are we saved. And we pray, Father, that each of us see ourselves newly as Your new selves, Your new creatures who are the light to this world. The world itself is in great danger.